We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drafting a best ball mania for team, trying to win the $3 million. That's what we're doing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. Find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we've been talking a little bit. We want to do a little bit more drafting. It's drafting season. So we might be drafting more regularly, maybe a weekly thing. We're kind of keeping it flexible, but we're going to start with some extra shows this week or an extra show this week where we draft another underdog team because why not? Like we, we want to keep drafting. You have been obviously doing the great show, the best ball banana stand. Is that right? Um, a, over, lot of bees, a lot of bees in there. Yeah. With uh, Pete Overzet. Uh, listeners on Rotoviz Radio have uh, hopefully been checking that out. Certainly, I would expect and, and been enjoying that. Because that's also live streamed over on YouTube, you guys get the wide receiver avalanches and all of that. We're going to be drafting pre-recorded like all of our shows. And so, you know, a little bit sneaky. We might actually get some of the some of the values we want to play as, a, as opposed to... I mean, as much as I love the wide receiver avalanche content, I love reading about it. I've been doing a lot of slows on underdog. And it's funny because I get into my drafts and I'm like, they're... They're not wide receiver avalanches. I mean, they're they're the normal. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are experiencing the same thing. Where it's interesting to understand how to approach when you get into a wide receiver avalanche, and there are some that I'm in that that take off that way, but it's also not as common when you're not streaming it. When you're not Sean Siegel and Peter Overzet streaming it every week, it does create some very interesting incentives. It's probably not the earliest that Jackson Smith and Jigba has ever been selected. But then after I did more or less 4,000 words on him this week, I'd like to be in the mix at least. Pete and I did select him at the 410 once. And it wasn't even like we really reached for him very significantly (laughs) in terms of the positional ADP, obviously overall ADP. Uh, those have been a lot of fun. The couple of drafts I've done with you have been an absolute blast. My main mission today is not for us to get set up perfectly to win the $3 million and then inadvertently auto-draft Bijan Robinson <laughs> and ruin it with the first pick. So so that's the so number one So not click on the StreamYard window. Instead, click on the actual underdog screen. And I do need to keep reminding myself that as we go through this, like first round, get on the right screen. So there'll be that element. I do think it's interesting to, you know, work through or think through some of the different elements where you're in the slows. That gives you a very different dynamic where you have more time to set up 
some of the correlation plays, think through the future, but also your league mates do. So there are some pluses and minuses there. People who really want to block you can do that. But I do think that in some ways in the slows, you're going to have multiple drafters who are setting up very good tournament teams, at least in that they're correlation plays. Now, whether or not you can get them all the way through, you're going to maybe have fewer drafters making big mistakes. Uh, Michael Dunner has a great piece kind of on this. I know that our buddy Mike Leone also wrote, at least to an extent in his big piece, kind of looking at the contrast between fast and slow and that really there's not as big a difference as you might guess, but it does allow you as a drafter to do some different types of things. That's really interesting. And then even just the time of the day that you draft, I get a chance to do a lot of late night West coast live drafts. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the drafts are softer or tighter or what have you. I don't think that's the right way to look at it, but it is interesting. If you have different objectives, I'm able to draft teams with a lot of ADP value. If that's something that you're prioritizing late at night, those teams people get, people get a little sauced up and start taking taking the the reaches, and then you get the the ADP values coming back. That, that makes yeah, sense. I mean, if you if you have some drafters who you know are partying, then you'll have that yeah. element. If you have some drafters who are tired. There also are fewer badges late at night, and so there's not even necessarily a thing where you want to be worried about the other people in your draft but i do think that there are some draft profiles who are probably more focused on volume drafting and vacuuming up any minor values that are out there because they're going to have a huge number of teams whereas right. i mean if you're going to draft 10 you want to draft your because guys you want. Yeah, yeah of course so yeah we have those those different dynamics we'll see what our draft looks like today that's one of the things that is just so fun too in the first five six rounds is finding out what kind of draft you're in, and then making the adjustments so you can maximize the value. So let's go ahead and jump in here, see how quickly we fill, see what slot we get. I really enjoyed discussing the shows or discussing the players, I should say, at the back end of that first round. You mentioned that you were getting a lot of 108, 109 in the drafts that you are currently doing. And... For me, kind of talking through that, the two of us there and crystallizing some of the things that I've kind of been doing in drafts, but definitely trying to make sure that the rationale works, who you want, how it sets up other things. I thought that that was really interesting. So if we get a pick in that range, that'll be fun. But Ben, I don't think it matters too much here. We're going to have a blast with this draft. Absolutely. And as always, you can follow along on the Rotoviz Radio YouTube page. And Sean, you'll, you'll need to share the draft so that we can get our YouTube people. That's the next technical step uh, so that we can get that pulled up for our YouTube people. <laughs> Do you want to also see who, who the players are we can we can select? I, I was Yeah, I was thinking it would be fun to, <laughs> to, to get a watch. So we got another late pick here. What is it? 112, right? At the turn in our last uh, show, we talked about this 1-2 range maybe reaching on some of the guys in the early second round ADPs that can maybe create a little bit of a different build early, allow you some flexibility. We talked about how Jalen Waddle can really allow you some flexibility with the ways that the Ravens hit in these pockets. I don't know that we'll get either Andrews or, or Lamar coming all the way back to the three, four turn, but you can still get, you know, Bateman and Zay Flowers at the seven, eight, usually in a lot of these drafts. So 
There'll be some ways to get some correlation with Baltimore in that week 17 game. If we do decide to go waddle at the one, two, you know, we talked about Jonathan Taylor and his ADP of 17 for some reason. I've spent uh, the last couple of days writing up the AFC South for my offseason stealing signals posts and had a lot to say about Taylor's profile and why that is a really palatable price on him in these And we drafts. know that right now, Barkley, Jacobs dropping a little bit in some drafts because of concerns about holdouts, Stevenson and Hall dropping in some drafts because of concerns about additional you know, free agent guys maybe landing in their lap. Jonathan Taylor doesn't have those concerns. Nope, not at all. And one of the things, I mean, just a couple quick notes on that. I, I do think we've talked through this a little bit, but we, we talked through the Steichen plays per game in, in his past, I know, on a recent show. But one of the things that I, I keep coming back to is I do. I actually think the offense sets up better if the backup quarterback plays. And I think the market really is focused on the starting quarterbacks in most situations. It's very rare, I think, for an outcome where the backup quarterback would play to actually improve things for the skill position players. And to be clear, I still think if Anthony Richardson's in there, that Jonathan Taylor has really strong upside. He has the potential to run for 2,000 yards in that kind of a setup. But his receiving projection, I think, would absolutely explode if Minshew were to play, and he would still be able to run for 1,500-yard you know, pace. So uh, I do. I keep going back to that where it's like there's these two paths for him. Both of them, you can see some pretty exceptional upside with his talent and his you know ability. But yeah, it's very rare, and it's something that the market's usually not going to catch that the backup might actually make the skill position production situation better. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just getting more and more excited about Taylor. And it was actually, I think, almost immediately after that show, within the next couple of days, if I'm remembering correctly, that we finally got some negative news about Anthony Richardson, where the owner comes out and says, look, he's going to have to play a lot better if he's going to start. And Gardner Minshew is way ahead of him. Now, a little bit of that is just, I think, trying to set reasonable expectations and not have Anthony Richardson so set up to fail. And at the same time, you know, that is a dynamic that they are going to have to deal with. There are quarterback issues there. Then we're into an interesting start. We had Christian McCaffrey actually fall to the 107. That's not where we are. We're on the turn. Garrett Wilson, Amon Ra, Jalen Waddell. Those are the guys, Lamb and Brown, both gone. Yeah, I'm, I mean, the, the cue is all players that I'm in love with. So why don't you pick the two that you feel most comfortable with as we're kind of running the clock down here? I mean, Garrett Wilson and Amon Ra are players that I want a lot of exposure to. And then we also have Waddle and Jonathan Taylor in the queue. We're just talking about Taylor. Talked about Waddle a lot on our last show. We do take Wilson with our first pick. I think Wilson Amon Ra is a really fun way to start from the 112. Those are two guys that could, I think, pretty clearly take that step and be – in the, in the same class as the top five wide receivers, whose profiles are elite. But we talked recently about you know, Amon Ra having a very similar slot receiver plus type profile as Cooper Cup. I think I ran through how their yards per run profiles last year were nearly identical. I mean, they had the exact same yards per run. They had almost the exact same, you know, ADOT and targets per run and yards per target and all of the layers, their yak and everything, so similar now, this was Cooper Cup 2022, not his elite 2021 season, which was a little bit better, but he was still doing very, very well in 2022 before he went down. 
Amon Ra has a very similar profile through this point of his career. And you can really see how that could be, uh, you know, go take the next step. And then Garrett Wilson just was, you know, we, we talked about it a lot last year during the season, Sean, on, on Stealing Bananas, but was so fun to watch, was really held back by the quarterbacks, but such a good route runner already as a rookie to do the things he was able to do to earn the volume he was able to earn. He, he's just such a natural fit for Aaron Rodgers next to Devontae Adams, the guy that he expects to win in one-on-one situations in the red zone when Rodgers is running the play clock down and reading the secondary and saying, okay, I have a one-on-one, I have man coverage over there, I'm going to him. And he does his little hand signal. He needs that guy to be able to be a good enough route runner, runner to win in that man situation. Garrett Wilson, I think, very clearly displayed that ability. So I, I'm really excited about his potential as well. I mean, I think he's – I mean, it, it's, it seems silly to say, but it feels like a lock for double-digit touchdowns to me this year. He's just so good. I One of the things that I always note – when I write him up is that, I mean, Zach Wilson, his numbers in terms of on target percentage, catchable percentage, they were excruciating. And anybody who was putting them through a lot of Jets games because they had Wilson, it was shocking how bad he was. And yet I believe it was adjusted net yards per attempt. And then the sports info solutions, IQR stat where they're adjusting for throwaways and dropped interceptions and that kind of thing. It was two of the most basic QB stats. He was actually better than Joe Flacco and Mike White last year, which, I mean, if you watch the games, you wouldn't believe that was in the realm of possibility. That's how bad the quarterback play was across the board for Wilson. And yet his season was still extraordinary. We hear a lot about the top, two or three guys potentially going for 2,000 yards. Tyreek Hill has said that he's going to go for 2,000 yards. I think those things are in play, and yet, I mean, I almost don't think there's any wide receiver in the league who's set up better to go for 2,000 yards than Garrett Wilson. Man, 2,000 yards. I I said he's a lock for double-digit touchdowns. We might as well just put him in the Hall of Fame. But that's what we do. Put him in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) That's what we do here on stealing bananas he's in the hall of stealing bananas hyperbole that's for sure right that's that's for sure we're heading back through in the early third round one of the trends that we're seeing in the last little bit here in underdog drafts is a lot of these running backs that were really fun picks here in the late second early third have some some new question marks and are falling even further so I'm talking about specifically you have Saquon Barkley didn't fall in this one, but Josh Jacobs is is the guy at the 2-3 turn that's also holding out. And then you have Brees Hall and Ramondre. They do go 304 and 306 just now as I'm talking, but Brees Hall and Ramondre both having some rumors about you know Dalvin Cook potentially um, showing up. Uh, the, the New England also just worked out uh, Leonard Fournette and Daryl Henderson recently. Um, Jacobs finally goes off the board at 307. It does seem like Jacobs and Barkley are at least a little bit at risk of holding out, but I've mostly been scooping the drops. Um, you know, I, I I do have concern about that, but again, it's one of those things where you like you weigh risk and you weigh upside and getting to build unique teams with like a you know, like a Josh Jacobs, even who I'm not in love with, but at 310 or something like that is I think worth whatever holdout risk is there. If he holds out, that team's dead. But I mean, a lot of these are $5, $25 teams that are going to be dead anyway. At a certain point, 
you take the opportunity in terms of the way that the draft is structured and what you're allowed to then build. Sean, we're on deck here. And in the queue, you have Jameer Gibbs, a guy we both really like, uh, Debo Samuel, Travis Etienne. We have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. His ADP is moving back up towards this range. Somebody that I also like here. Pretty receiver heavy so far in the third. Jerry Judy goes. Keenan Allen goes. Those are guys that we used to be able to get in the fourth. Our best receiver by ADP, it looks like, is going to be Christian Watson, a guy that we're not super in on. Oh, no, excuse me, after Debo. Debo seems like a really nice price at this point. Yeah, I love what he does, both setting us up for some of the builds and specific players later on. That part is great when you get the little bit of the discount there. And then Gibbs, what do you think about Gibbs with St. Brown? I haven't done it a ton, but I... I think you and I actually together have done it a couple of times. I I like it. I think that if we make a bet on Detroit, it's an interesting way to play it. But I'm very open to any other guy here you like. No, let's do it. I, I really like Gibbs. I um, And I really like St. Brown. I guess my, my case is the ultimate upside for St. Brown to me is you know, 30 plus percent target share, this ability to really rack up targets. The ultimate upside for Gibbs to me also is, look, here's this player with an elite, elite receiving profile being dropped into an offense that has the ability to throw to the running backs a ton. And, you know, he, I think he could be a hundred target player this year. I mean, that's the, the really exciting thing for him. I'm not saying it's not possible for them to both have really high target shares. I think it's obviously tough for them to both in the short, uh, you know, areas of the field, both hit those types of numbers, but it can be a thing where like the offense is playing a lot fast. We're making a bet on the offense playing fast, playing in a lot of competitive games. I was looking at the look ahead lines and projected implied team totals, which I got from uh, Jack Miller over at ETR and formerly of Rotoviz. Shout out Jack Detroit. When you look at the, the uh, weeks one through 18, spreads and over-unders and each team's implied total every game. And then you add all that up because there are look-ahead lines for every game all season. Detroit, the the implied points their offense is expected to score based on the ways that their over-unders and their spreads are, are set up right now is sixth highest in the NFL. I mean, only Kansas City, Buffalo, the Eagles, the Bengals, and the Chargers ahead of them. They're ahead of you know Baltimore. They're ahead of the Dolphins. They're ahead of the Cowboys, Jaguars, the Vikings. A lot of these teams that you know, our good offenses, the Lions set up right now as an offense that, I mean, largely because the um, their games are expected to be really high scoring. Their average spread is closer to, to neutral. It's not as high, but you have these really high over-unders. Their defense, you know, might not be amazing. They might play these sped up games. So if you do make this bet, you're making the bet on Detroit's offense playing in a lot of you know, frantic second halves, a lot of pass volume, Jared Goff dropping back 600, 700 times. And, and if that happens, then you can get a, you know, a, and maybe not full season massive target ceiling for both, but you get these spike weeks and sometimes they overlap and it can be really nice. One of the things that I love about this build to start is that we now have three very compelling and yet also very nicely priced quarterbacks who are in the mix in Aaron Rodgers, where if we're making absurd claims about Garrett Wilson, you're kind of also thinking about this as an Aaron Rodgers revenge tour 
season, which would put both of them into play for tournament wins. Then you have Amon Ra, and you just put together the thesis there for the Detroit Lions. If that thesis comes to fruition, Jared Goff is going to be a good regular season and potential tournament QB, even without the rushing upside. And then you have Brock Purdy, who is surrounded by the best weapons, arguably in the NFL. I like going with Gibbs there because for me, after Debo, the tier break, I mean, it's it's not just a little tier break. It's gigantic. When you're talking about the next five receivers drafted are Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins, Drake London, Terry McLaurin, and Christian Watson. I actually think that right now, the next guy I might be on is Brandon Ayuk. And if you want to set that up, I think you just draft Ayuk in his area of the draft. I mean, you wouldn't draft him where we took Debo. Even if you're higher on Ayuk, I think you would build both teams. And so that's kind of the way that I like to do it at the end of the third there. Also, that three. When you say build both teams, you mean build an IU team later, taking him closer to his ADP. Exactly. Exactly. So we we do get here now into the fifth where Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore, and Brandon Ayuk start the fifth round. That's one of the nice things about kind of being in that section of the draft. You get decent prices on those guys. I think I'm probably higher on them kind of certainly as a group than the round four wide receivers, which is an interesting dynamic we're getting currently. Christian Kirk here goes in the fifth, and we are heading back around to our turn. And this is a really fun five, six turn right now. Top guys in the queue include Chris Godwin and Jackson Smith and Jigba. If we were able to get either of those guys at this five, six turn, you talked about taking JSN at the four ten. I was earlier this off season, very content taking Godwin around the four five turn. His price did rise and then it fell again. And I'm, I mean, I'm just egregiously exposed to Godwin, but I think it's ridiculous that he's going 59 when you have like, you know, somebody like a Christian Kirk going 49 in, in ADP. Um, just one name that I was comparing him to in one of my slow drafts today. I understand Christian Kirk's in a better offense, but he's never shown the ability, the, the ceiling, target earning ceiling, and he didn't last year either, that somebody like Godwin has. You, I mean, we're talking about very different receiving profiles in terms of what they can actually be when things break, right? It's way too much certainty on what the offenses are. The Jaguars offense still needs to take a step forward. The box is going to take a step back, but it's assuming that it's taking such a far step back that a really, really good receiver can't get there. And as I'm talking about him, he goes one pick before us. We get sniped on Chris Godwin. So Jackson Smith and Jigba does make it back to us. I do love the setup as you detailed it as well with a lot of the quarterbacks we have available. But yeah, you just move Pickens up. If we take JSN here, we could potentially reach on Pickens and set up a little bit in that Seattle-Pittsburgh game as well. I don't think we have to. We could maybe also be looking at like Friermuth later. Pickens ADP quite a bit later. He might even make it to our next pick. He really might almost come back around. That is something that we have to deal with there. I moved him up because we don't have a great pick with Godwin gone here. Anything that we do is going to be a little bit of a compromise. And Kyle Pitts is an interesting digression at a point where we don't have anything and we don't have a stud tight end. Which guy do you like? That's what I, that's where I would go is with Pitts. It's, it's six out one, but I do think you know I, I earlier this off season when I did my first best balls and wrote a, a piece over at Ceiling Signals and wrote my initial best ball thoughts and one of the little head, subheaders was you know about the the various tight ends. But I I wrote you know Kyle Pitts is a sixth round cheat code. I just I mean yeah this is six out one, but it's it's sort of silly to get a tight end profile like his after we've started 
with the four receivers we have and Jameer Gibbs in the first five rounds, like you shouldn't be able to take this detour uh, to, to get uh, the pits profile in the sixth round. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. I'm, I'm pulling it up here because I do want to give the number correctly. It's such a, a fun number. But as I do that, Ben, did you have other options there? We really did end up in a spot where this draft has been interesting in that the running back values other than Gibbs haven't really been there throughout. Now, if you like Najee Harris, he fell to the 411. That's an interesting pick. Aaron Jones goes at the 503. Kenneth Walker, who is somebody, especially in the back half of the fifth round, is such an awesome pick. He he does go at the 505, so not getting... I mean, that's still a fantastic price, but you're not getting ADP value there. And then J.K. Dobbins goes four picks ahead of us. I've seen uh, Herbert and Hawkinson both fall to the 5-6 in recent days. It's been fascinating because it seems like basically every position but receivers are falling. I was saying this to you before we came on the air that we're, we're seeing these running backs fall. Typically the ones that are have, that have some real concern, I guess, or some outward you know factor. Uh, whether the holdout or a potential free agent signing, but we're seeing quarterbacks fall. Um, and then some of the elite tight ends just sort of systematically falling a little bit right now. And uh, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, it, it, it might just be that you're streaming with Pete so much. <laughs> you guys are, are just, your, your wide receiver avalanche drafts are just raising all the ADP. The more times you take Jackson Smith and Jigba at 410, the more times, you know, his ADP is going to have to rise, and then people are going to go, oh, God, I got to get some JSN before his ADP rises any further. And we start winding up with the it, – it's a wide receiver avalanche of ADPs right now is what's happening. But, yeah, no, we get uh, – you asked if I had any other, like, big plays there. I don't – I mean, we would have had to get into some of the veterans, and they're not players that I'm super in on. I have taken a little bit of Marquise Brown in this range but don't really love it and don't really love it in a draft where I've already taken four receivers in the first five rounds. I think in part it's with him. It's, you know, if I've, if I've actually taken a couple detours, it's, you know, kind of playing into some target volume and trying to bypass the offensive concerns. The other name that went within a half round of our pick there was Tyler Lockett. We could have theoretically taken both JSN and Lockett and set up a Geno double stack. I wouldn't have been completely opposed to that. The next guys that I actually get excited about, Sean, are, you know, Jahan Dotson goes late in the sixth. You had Pickens there. You know, Jordan Addison is there late in the sixth. Gabe Davis goes at 6.11. I'm still pretty interested in him, but I don't I don't think I would have reached on any of those guys at the 5.6, which is why I was leaning uh, Pitts. That's exactly the way I'm looking at it as well. Little note here on Kyle Pitts. Obviously, a lot of listeners will know this, but uh, last season when he was an apocalyptic selection, his air yards per route run, 4.1. The next closest guy there, we have Mark Andrews at 2.7. He also did uh, generate the targets per route at a very hectic 30%. That gives him a weighted targets per route of 0.84. You contrast that with the next couple of guys or... The, the big time guys, you have Mark Andrews at 0.68, Travis Kelsey at 0.62. Obviously, it's easier to do on a smaller number of routes. Kyle Pitts mixed a big chunk of the season. But it's not just that he led, Ben. The gap is massive. So yeah. you know, that doesn't fix all the problems. But if some of the problems got fixed, the upside is pretty crazy, the especially as you mentioned, there. at these prices. It, there's, there's nothing in this profile that we should be 
particularly scared of other than people just don't like picking the guy that they blame their lack of success one season on the next season. So he was the biggest Boston fantasy football. That's, you know, I'm putting up air quotes and people don't want to draft him as a result. And I mean, look, we, he cost us a lot of money last year, Sean, but let's, I mean, he, I say again, also in air quotes, cause I blame the Falcons way more than I blame Kyle Pitts as a human being, but that's, that is what it is. We are running down the clock here as we're still talking about Pitts. We have Quentin Johnson in the queue. I'm very in on him here. He's sort of a no-brainer. Then you also have Brandon Cooks in there. He's interesting as we do have the two Detroit players. The Week 17 correlation gives us a bring back there. I haven't pulled the trigger a ton on Cooks, but a good talent. And we know that the routes have been pretty concentrated for Dallas uh, recently, the wide receiver routes last year in particular, Michael Gallup, Noah Brown, both running a ton of routes, even though neither of them was particularly good. It seems like Cook's routes are going to be very stable. Do you like uh, – you, you just added Deshaun Watson to the key. Do you want to go that way? Well, we, we did, are going to go with Cooks. We did. Yeah, we did just run out of time there. Um, I put him in there in case – just to put him in your head, in case you were going to make a quick detour at the end. The reason that he is interesting is that you have – the Garrett Wilson up Bring against back. Cleveland in week 17. So I think that play is kind of fun. I think that Elijah Moore is fun. I don't have but much. But I don't think we would have got more back to us is what I was thinking. Right. And so you're going to have to go uh, either with a different Cleveland player or be comfortable with Watson by himself other than that bring back. I think the that that's kind back. of an interesting way to play it every once in a while. I wouldn't suggest yeah. this on a lot of teams, but I did do a team recently where I had Justin Jefferson. I've got some Jefferson teams with TJ Hawkinson and then Kirk Cousins. That's the way to play it. And yet at the same time, it just, it, 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 it bores me a little bit, Ben, to do it that way. <laughs> and so I got in a situation in a, it wasn't even really avalanche, but just you can get stuck there where the last wide receivers go at 210 and 211. You're on the clock with Ramondre Stevenson and these falling running backs that you might not want to pick. And Stevenson even, I mean, he was at 311 in a draft that I did two days ago. So he could also fall. But I had Stevenson. I didn't have a second guy that I really liked. And so I thought, why not pick a tournament-winning player, even though it's a big reach, and maybe create one of those unusual combinations and so even though Mark Andrews has an ADP of 29, and that doesn't mean he's not occasionally going up where I picked him. He went up there in this particular draft today. But I wanted to put him with Justin Jefferson. Then you get these two guys who are very clear tournament-winning types of plays. As the draft progressed, I didn't necessarily like the rest of the QB setup. It was actually a Justin Fields team. But then we got to a point where the Dolphins – managers the Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle managers were really letting Tua fall kind of putting the pressure on each other and the rest of the draft to take in one of the things about Tua is you do get a lot of protection because other than those two guys no one really wants him there's no one else on that Dolphins team you're going to put him with so I decided to put him with Mark Andrews and play it through that I think Tua is undervalued by three to four rounds if you get that value, plus you get the guy opposite in week 17. Now for Tua, because he doesn't have the rushing value, I don't think that's as good a play as doing something like Deshaun Watson. Where but you it can is... see him win without his receivers actually winning opposite 
a Garrett Wilson explosion. Yeah, it is interesting because it is, it's so concentrated. Tyreek and Waddle are both so expensive. People would say, you know, you, if if two is the guy you need, that you're going to be going up against teams that have Tua and Tyreek or Tua and Waddle, whichever is the the better of the two receivers that week. But all it really takes is those guys to be, you know, splitting the production a little bit. Maybe one touchdown or two touchdowns just goes to the random other player, which they, I mean, it's not like their tight ends or their other receivers aren't going to catch touchdowns this season or their running backs or Alec Ingold or whoever their fullback because the price on Tyreek and Waddle are so high and you, and you have other receivers or other players that basically match the week that Tyreek and Waddle have there. If they don't necessarily cons- necessarily consolidate as much in those matchups. So you can, t- I mean, it is interesting because it, it's, you're not, I, yeah, it doesn't feel like it has to be, the stack if some of the touchdowns go to the ancillary pieces to the two of one i think makes sense and I, broadly i think the whole idea makes sense but with watson who's still on the board we're almost all the way back david and joku just goes we wouldn't have that option i believe elijah moore's off the board the i mean i i think a watson garrett wilson combo could also be uh played through donovan people's jones late like something like that i, I think he's got a little bit of an interesting profile he does make it all the way back to a shot at 108, 84 ADP. I'm with you on this. I, I mean, 24 picks after ADP, I think you take him because he has real potential and we have the Garrett Wilson bring back. Even if we don't pair him with someone later, we certainly are. We, three of his pass catchers have already been drafted. We're certainly not going to be able to draft them with those guys. But uh, like a DPJ, like I said, is somebody that I think is viable. We have just the one running back. You have some running backs in the queue. It's a great running back pocket. I'm... Um, I like all these these options. We have uh, Samajic Piran, Rashad Penny, David Devon, A-Chain in the queue. Piran, the highest ADP, probably my default. Have we taken any correlation on these guys? I don't think so. So we go with Piran. We don't have any Chargers. We don't have any Cardinals. And we don't have any Ravens where we could have built little. Oh, we do. We do have Quentin Johnson. I, I missed that. I forgot about that. So the P. Ryan Quentin Johnson thing is actually, it works out great. We took P. Ryan and we now have a little week 17 mini correlation that we totally intended to do. We're going to need to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do have Johnson there. And I, one of the reasons that I like him, even though it does set us up with three rookies in the single digit rounds is that you do then have those opportunities to play Denver and Denver is a team that has a lot of guys you can play. And that's one of the other things that we're looking to do in these drafts is to set up as many pathways as possible as opposed to as few. My only consideration there would be, does Penny still have a significantly higher ceiling if he stays healthy in perhaps the NFL's premier juggernaut offense. We also do have this element where both of our running backs now have the week nine bye. We have a couple of receivers with that bye. It maybe puts a little more pressure on us to draft deeper at the running back position because I mean we don't want to get caught where we fail to advance by a point or two because that part isn't spread enough. But that's certainly a minor consideration versus getting the best guys. Right. Yeah. If we get some amazing value that is a week nine buy, we're not going to completely pass that up. But yeah, I think you said that very well. 
but yeah, in, interesting consideration, certainly with the Purine and Penny decision. So at this point, we are now uh, approaching the turn opposite us. We're through 10 rounds. We have Deshaun Watson. We have both Jameer Gibbs and Samaj Pirine. Uh, and then we have uh, Kyle Pitts at tight end and then six receivers otherwise. So we have one quarterback, two running backs, and a tight end. And then six receivers, Garrett Wilson, Almond Ross, St. Brown. We have Jackson Smith and Jigba. Debo Samuel was the third. Quentin Johnston and Brandon Cooks are our six receivers. It's 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 really set up pretty nice, Sean. Um, we do have a lot of paths at quarterback still, but that Deshaun Watson value was really interesting. What do you think about the Donovan Peoples-Jones play later? I was looking at his profile the other day. And certainly the speed element is one that I'm pretty interested in when I think back to the ways that Deshaun Watson was most successful in Houston with Will Fuller there. I mean, I don't think Donovan Peoples-Jones is Will Fuller, but I do think the uh, extend the play deep shot to Donovan Peoples-Jones. One one of the big positives to Donovan Peoples-Jones' profile is he has had really high yards per target numbers at times because he's hit on these big plays at a pretty high rate on some some extended plays. We've seen Baker Mayfield and him when, when Mayfield was still there uh, connect for some some plays. There was one season where very low target volume, but his ADOT was just extremely high and his yards per tar- target extremely high. And basically his, you know, his whole season was a couple of these deep shots and he hit on a good number of them or a few, you know, three of them, what have you. I do kind of like that in terms of a one-week ceiling for Deshaun Watson, you could see that type of a play elevate, you know, his his overall quarterback scoring for one week. Yeah, I, that, overall, it's not the profile that I'm really looking for, and I think that he could get boxed out. But I think on this team, what you've described makes a lot of sense if we end up, you know, with the one more wide receiver and we don't like some of our other options. I think this is the perfect structure for us to this point where – we have a lot of flexibility. We have the wide receivers covered. You always want that. We have the elite tight end. That gives us a lot of paths. There's not a clear QB option here, Ben. It kind of looks to me like this is the place to take Bigsby and Warren. Do you have a, a different preference? I always like Jacoby Myers. <laughs> no, I have. I, I, I like that. I, I've taken a lot of Warren, and we already have the Pittsburgh and uh, Seattle game covered. Bigsby makes a lot of sense here as well from an ADP perspective and uh, we do need to start filling out. Although he's another week nine running back. Is there, we click on running back real quick. We've got about 15 seconds on the clock. Yeah, it's pretty thin. Maybe Algier. I, I don't know. What do you think? Are you good with me switching to Myers? Sure. Yeah, I, I laughed a little cause you said you always liked Jacoby Myers. <laughs> Long time stealing. Uh, <clears throat> Bananas listeners will, will remember the Jacoby Myers Wars of 2022. When I say always, then always this season, I find myself <laughs> drafting him because he keeps falling. And he's, I mean, I think this year is the year he's the great. But you sold me on him, though. I've I've become a Jacoby a Myers ben Gretch adjacent Jacoby Myers convert. Exactly. That's exactly it. All right. And I mean, a lot of opportunity with the Raiders, certainly behind Devontae Adams. So he's our wide receiver seven there. A little bit of a luxury pick, no real correlation, but behind ADP. And, you know, to get 
a receiver behind ADP there, I think makes some sense. We pivoted away from Bigsby, I think, largely because of the buy concerns. We'll have some other ways to play running back. Where are you at on Mostert this year and with all the Dalvin Cook rumors? Because that's a guy, I mean, we're at least a little bit concerned about early production here. And he's the guy in this group that feels like, I mean, a lot of other interesting names still on the board at running back, but he's the one that feels like could be a nice hit for some early production to pair with the Warren types and the other, you know, handcuff types that we'll take throughout the rest of the draft. Yeah, I, I'd love Mostert. I think he fits in many ways best with what they do. And yet, I, the way that I really see this backfield playing out is that A-Chain becomes the, I mean, he's smaller, obviously, but he becomes their Alvin Kamara. And then you have Mostert and Wilson not exactly fighting for the scraps. And obviously it's a different offense, that kind of thing. But if you put them kind of combined into that Mark Ingram type of role, we're trying to think through, you know, what offenses in the past have created a lot of total EP, a lot of value, this huge pie that could be split and the guys still score enough points, even if their market share of EP, which is a better predictor once you get into the season on a weekly basis than EP itself, you know, how could they still score and win? I think Mostert and Wilson are such good talents and good fits that they could do that. But if they're cannibalizing each other behind a chain and you still have the specter of even further additions, it does make it pretty challenging for me. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's a pretty bullish take on A-Chain from what we've discussed, I think, in the past. I, I I guess I'm just I'm not sold on that at all for A-Chain. I don't think that this offense either will have the total EP. Uh, I think you're going to want the explosive. I mean, A-Chain's, from a profile perspective, supposed to be the explosive type as well. But we're, we're on the clock here. We'll, we'll circle back on that. You got a bunch of running backs in the queue. Right now, all we have is Gibbs, uh, Pirine, and Jalen Warren. I guess uh, I had forgotten about Pirine a little bit. We do have some of the early production I mentioned covered with him. That's sort of the idea of him 
Kendra Miller, the ADP pick here, top of the queue, really like taking him as well as any of these other backs. You have Chuba Hubbard, another strong option, but quite a bit ahead of ADP. He might make it back around to us. Yeah, these guys are all well above other than Miller. So we'll go ahead and take him, even though he goes on the injury list there. I don't see a tight end or quarterback play that we would need to prioritize here. So if we're going to reach it at ADP, you would do it in a situation where you like a guy and you don't have any other picks. I probably actually would reach for Spears here. I don't think he's going to come back, but I'm very willing sure. to go with Mostert. No, let's, we can go Spears. Spears, I think, is in that two-way split. Now, I, I kind of think that his split of that might resemble Mostert's split in the three-way for the Dolphins. There's a little bit more projection because obviously we haven't seen Spears, but the early reviews have been good. But then if you get an injury, then I think you're golden. I don't know if you're set if Mostert gets one of his committee backs hurt, although he would certainly score a lot of points in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm certainly not going to defend Mostert a ton because I guess my case would be more that you want sort of the lead in Miami because I don't think the total EP is going to be that high. I made the case last year a, a little bit that this offense still throws to the, the fullback a decent amount. They gave Alec Ingold a big contract to sort of be their Cal use check. And as they bring over this San Francisco offense and Ingold did have a meaningful number of targets that did limit the total targets to the traditional running back position. Ingold had 23 targets last year as uh, you know, in an NFL where most teams aren't even using fullbacks anymore. Uh, Mostert had 42. Wilson had 24. Jeff Wilson, they combined for 66. The other uh, running backs, basically none. I mean, Miles Gaskin had six. There's not a lot of running back targets and Oh, Chase Edmonds had 17 before his trade. So yeah, I mean, it, Still, low number overall, and part of that also was Tyreek Hill getting a lot of work on the line of scrimmage, getting that sort of Debo Samuel role, again, in the San Francisco offense. I think the, the way that the running back position wins in this offense is efficiency and, you know, explosive plays and those types of things. It is a good offense. It's a high, you know, high-octane offense. They're going to have scoring opportunities, and they're going to be a good enough passing offense that defenses will be in those nickel and soft and light boxes, and you'll be able to have running room. And Raheem Mostert's the guy that can hit on those holes and go for 60 yards and a TD. Ideally still able to do that at, you know, at 30 plus, but um, certainly was in his prime. That's sort of the profile of a chain as well. But, you know, I just don't really love his profile. Not, not as, um, He's a he's a smaller back, not as uh, productive in college as I would have liked to see. Um, when he got more work in his last season, his efficiency fell off quite a bit. His yards per carry fell off quite a bit. Um, but there's certainly an anti-fragile element to his profile that I you know I have to acknowledge. Where like I mean, Mostert, Wilson, are older backs. In most scenarios, I think things are going to tilt towards more a chain as the season moves on so i get that take we're still at one qb and one tight end sean you're sort of setting up the queue for some potential stacks you've added ritter to the queue did kenny pickett go he did go okay so there was a few quarterbacks that went in that range did we oh we didn't even have 
Did we take Pickens? We didn't take Pickens. We didn't even have a Steelers receiver. Right. right. So the situation that we have there is JSN, then by himself, we have Quentin Johnston with the running back. We have Debo by himself. Curtis Samuel is gone. We'll talk about it more quickly. We do have Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren with JSN. But yeah, sorry. Right. Right. Um, The real uh, sort of fumble happened at the 11-12, not selecting Jared Goff. We'll we'll jump back in and, and kind of look at that when we get to that point. Mostert's still on the board here. Chuba's still here. I do like Ritter with... What about Purdy? Is he still around? Because we did take Debo, and that was something we discussed. Oh, because we don't have the Washington bring back your... Right. I haven't been... I haven't been making that pick as often when I don't have the other side of that game, in part because I just have so much Purdy that I want to do it when it's very heavily correlated. I do kind of think this is an interesting team to take the two mobile QBs and play that element of it. But if we get to a situation where Purdy is the clear pick in terms of what he does, I'm I'm definitely not out on that. What do you feel like we're trending towards build-wise with our last selections? Because with Watson and Pitts, I think two QB and two tight end is viable, but I don't think it's necessary. It could be something where we could build a three-quarterback team. Oh, we never did get a stack with Watson either. Right, and I did put uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones into the cue for you there and i was kind of going to joke with the jacoby myers pick that one of the things it did was uh sort of take <laughs> people as jones out of the mix right. for us i had blocked you on it but then i did put him in he did go at a price that i was a little bit surprised by we have purdy coming back around to us here about 10 picks below adp that one is sort of interesting desmond ritter is always tricky because if you push it and miss i mean you're getting right down to the end of the draft here. Chuba is still here. The rest of the running backs, been Jerome Ford, Chase Brown, those guys, interesting names. Do you have a player you're wanting to emphasize for the... Like you said, pushing Ritter can be tricky. We'd be pushing him pretty close to his ADP. I think I would just take Purdy 10 picks behind ADP here. I know it's not game stacked, but we do have Debo, and I think the Debo play is pretty clearly a bet on Purdy playing a lot of quarterback this year. And if he's playing a lot of quarterback, he's a really good value at pick 180, I think. He is. And so then it's the question of, do we still want the three? Do we want to get Ritter with Pitts? Are you, when you have some hybrid ability, and I still think how much is up in the air, but if we're betting on Pitts, I mean, it seems like Ritter is a great selection, but Chuba is a, an excellent value there at running back. Not value, but just good play always. Yeah, so we can take uh, Chuba there as the clock runs down. We're going to run into our late round tight end discussion again. Because you have put Michael Mayer and Trey McBride in the queue. I would have taken Dawson Knox there. One of the things I really like to do with the Denver Chargers correlations, which we have on this team, and I feel like I have on every team, between the Keenan Allen exposure and some Jerry Jerry Judy and Javante and Pirine, and you mentioned earlier how many fun Broncos there are. I'm still taking Cortland Sutton. And – uh, Quentin Johnson and Keenan Allen and, and you know Eckler. There's just so many ways to play that matchup. Is that's a game <clears throat> where that's a Week 17 matchup, and they play 
the same teams in week 16 that then go and face each other in week 17. So you get a little four-way correlation going on where the Bills and Patriots also play in week 17. And then in week 16, I believe it's the Broncos and Patriots and then the Chargers and the Bills. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I know that those four teams play each other uh, in week 16 and then also in week 17. So when I do the Chargers and Broncos early and I'm doing these three tight end builds, I start to look into the Dawson Knox, Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry realm of veterans that I really like uh, anyway, but also give me a week 16 and a week 17 correlation when I have a Charger and a Bronco on my team. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. And it is one of the reasons that I sort of stealth enjoy the Patriots and how you can play those guys late. Because as you mentioned, when you have Kansas city, Denver, Buffalo, I mean, yeah, could you run into some bad weather? Could you run into some good defenses? Those things are all issues, but Kansas city is going to score on you. Buffalo is going to score on you. And the Denver Broncos, if Sean Payton gets that offense going in the way that we believe in, at least for the teams that we have built with some Broncos, they're going to score on you. I'm betting that the Patriots are going to put together a good team. You look at the O'Brien ad, you listen to how that kind of has already filtered through so many of the guys who are out there. And I mean, Bill Belichick obviously wants to shut those teams down. If there is a defensive mind and a group of defensive players, I mean, they were already stacked at on the defensive side and they leaned into that in the draft. It could potentially be the Patriots, but, I mean, I think you have to buy into some of that shootout potential. And certainly from a fantasy perspective, that's a fun way to do it. I know Bill Belichick's old, but I don't think he's lost his competitiveness. I mean, I'm with you. At the prices we have to pay, it's pretty easy to say that that, um, I'm at least okay betting on the the Patriots having the ability to turn it around, right? Like, that's it's incredibly cheap. Like, we don't have to – the Patriots are the cheapest offense in, in, in best ball. Like they don't have anyone other than Ramondre that's even remotely expensive. It's incredibly easy to tell yourself a story there where, I mean, it's, it's like, it's comparable to like how bleak it was in Houston going into last year. But like, I was afraid of Houston going into last year. I didn't think they were really you know going to be able to do much, but the, the Patriots situation is not that bad. This is the point that I'm getting at. And they still have the, probably the greatest coach of all time. I'm more than willing to say, yeah, it, like this team can be competent because that's really the standard and the bar that we're looking for. If they can, then then they should be uh, – th- there should definitely be pieces in this offense that are overperforming where they're being drafted. Sean Ritter makes it all the way back to us, it appears. Sam Howell goes a couple picks before us. We are on deck. Hunter Henry still there. You have him in the top of the queue. He does have the same buy as Pitts, Henry does. So if you want to go Mayor – based on that or, or another one of the tight ends i'm totally fine i don't necessarily think if we only go two tight ends we should be taking a tight you know two tight ends out of the same buy are you gonna are, are we gonna go desmond ritter if we if you want to i'm definitely okay with that or we could go three tight end what how many would we have two six seven one right now i think our receivers are fine we do go three so then i think it, the picks mayor here so we leave Henry off. We bet into 
that same pick with with Jacoby Myers, a little bit of correlation there where we're betting into the Raiders offense being competent. We're maybe betting against a Devontae Adams or, or for Devontae Adams trade or something where there's a lot of target volume suddenly opening up. And one of the things I, I do like a little bit there, it's it's a very minor consideration, but as you're kind of working through your rosters, if you do have a correlation play for week 15 that allows you to balance some of the potential upside, you think about the weekly winners tournament and how you would want to play that. Well, if we're going to get into these final two rounds, we're going to make the big portion of the tournament. I mean, which weekly winners do you need? I mean, it's going to be that week 15 game to get you into the semifinals. And then you can start to believe, right? You can start to tell yourself a story. You have that extra week where you're thinking my team is alive for $3 million. So having the Raiders chargers game in week 15 for me, I mean, that's, that's fun. And, and, you know, we backed into it. It's not like that was the goal per se, but I do like how it works out. Fair. Um, I do want to talk about Mayer sort of broadly because I have had a really hard time seeing it with him because I do think Austin Hooper is enough of a veteran roadblock that not, like not necessarily going to keep Mayer off the field. Mayer is a really strong profile, but like we know what tight end tenants tend to come along a little more slowly Teams want them to be able to do a lot of different things. And I think Hooper can at least threaten his playing time to a certain degree. Then you have the issue of, look, Devontae Adams draws a lot of volume. You just said some nice things about Jacoby Myers for the first time in history. Uh, Hunter Renfro is another guy that earns volume in the short area of the field if he doesn't get traded, but he might. But I'm having a hard time seeing where... And Josh Jacobs is going to earn volume in the short area of the field. They're going to throw to him out of the backfield, assuming he doesn't hold out. I have a hard time seeing where this is a like there's a, a an opportunity in year one for Mayer to buck the rookie tight end trend, even though he's a really strong profile. The other element, of course, being that even if he does get the routes, is this offense even going to be any good? Like, is there uh, an issue of a lot of empty routes? So you're selling the quarterback portion as well. I think a little bit, yeah. Those things are all considerations. I think in the 18th round, when I mean the other tight ends who go in this range, we had Jake Ferguson, who's an interesting play in that kind of Dallas uh, Detroit game. He went three picks ahead of us, so we didn't have that shot in at the 17, 18 turn. That was an interesting one that you and I had discussed the other day, but the. <laughs> Three next or the four next tight ends were Isaiah Likely, Foster Moreau, Jelani Woods, and Kate Otten. My first question really is yeah. where is Hunter sure. Henry in that group? Because right. I mean, Hunter Henry is the clear cut pick. But I think with Mayer, you're getting so much upside that in the final round, it's a really interesting play to me. So you go and you look at his collegiate results. And he's a tight end, right? And we talk so much about, oh, it doesn't matter that Musgrave, it doesn't matter that this person and that person didn't have any collegiate production because tight ends don't do it. Well, he goes for 840 yards in 2021, comes back with 809 last season, scores nine touchdowns, has a dominator rating of 37%. He averages 2.66 yards per team attempt. You're getting a tight end 
with a borderline elite wide receiver profile in the last round on a team where your head coach is sort of notorious for coming in, making some weird personnel moves and moving things in the direction of his guys. And so, I mean, if Mayer was the best tight end in this class, and there are a lot of reasons to believe that he was. That for me is just an interesting pick because I think there are a lot of different ways that it can work out. I guess outside of Devontae Adams, I don't think that we need to be scared about the other players in this passing attack. Certainly we've picked Jacoby Myers on this team and we do have some investment in the offense being functional. I guess this is one of those teams where I'm both skeptical and yet willing to give them a very wide range of potential outcomes. And so this is not a do not avoid team for me. It's a get really good prices team. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't like Devontae Adams, even though he's a superstar. But when you get Myers at a discount, when you get Mayer in the last round, that I find pretty compelling, at least from a keeping my options open, playing the scenarios sort of perspective. I can certainly sense. see I can certainly see the scenario you're talking about where yeah, he just no, doesn't but I, have I, the volume. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I I mean you got me on board with, with Mayor a little bit more with that. I, I think one of the main things you pointed out there at the very beginning was just to look at the guys that went behind him. I think I'm a little bit fixated on what I think are some pretty ridiculous prices on guys like Hunter Henry, who, you know, I think we both agree is just ridiculously underpriced. And so part of the reason I haven't Ben is into the mayor as like, you know, we took a lot of Trey McBride last year as I was with McBride as simply last year with McBride. I didn't feel like there was alternatives. And you kind of point out here, like we're, we're also not looking at great alternatives and it could just be wrong on Henry. I've taken a lot of him. I probably should mix up the late round team tight, uh, tight end moves a little bit. Um, and mayor is a good way to do that. I think that does make a lot of sense. Uh, McBride, again, another good way to do that. You mentioned Ferguson, who's a guy that I do think has at least a path to consolidating routes in a, in a reasonable passing game. Not a guy that I'm going out of my way to take a lot, but another one for Dallas that is their best bet probably at this stage to be the tight end, also a potential zero. So like a risky one. But man, there's just there's a lot of interesting late tight ends when you really dig into it. Tyler Conklin, you know, we talked for a bit about making this a, a Garrett Wilson, Aaron Rodgers team. If we had done that, I might've been interested in adding Tyler Conklin late to, to that's probably be my preferred way to double stack it as opposed to trying to pay for an overpriced Alan Lazard or grab Nicole Hardman or play into, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Corey Davis is still there. They obviously just finally got rid of Denzel Mims, but um, the brown Randall Cobb too. Like we don't really know what's going to happen at receiver. I do feel fairly confident that Conklin's going to be the main guy at tight end. He was much better than CJ Uzama last year. And they didn't add a ton other than they did bring in a seventh rounder by the name of Zach Koontz, who's got a good athletic profile. And it's kind of an interesting little late round dynasty option as well. But very late Conklin on a, on a Roger stack, I think, is a viable path as well. So anyway, there's a lot of these late tight ends that maybe I'm just too confident in the way I can predict the routes and things that I feel like their roles are a lot more stable. That's been why I've been afraid of Mayer, who doesn't seem to have that stable role. I think you make a really compelling case about his profile and it's still worth getting into your portfolio. We, we tend to think that the Kyle Pitts types of rookie seasons are so unique. And while they're definitely not usual, you can get those and you are going to get them from a star if you get them. And so that would be the time I think to layer a few of those in. 
Ben, the interesting questions about this draft. I really like this team. I really like the structure. Certainly the controversial parts are going to come down almost exclusively, I think, to the moves that we made at quarterback. And I both like them and I don't like them. And so I'm interested to get your take on that portion of it because one of the things we wanted to do with this team is to set up a potential Garrett Wilson, Aaron Rodgers build. But then that became a little bit less compelling after we took this massive discount on Deshaun Watson since you're playing the other side of that game with the QB. Rodgers did not make it back to us in round 11. He was taking one pick ahead of our slot. The other game stack that we obviously set up there is with Amon Ra and Brandon Cooks. We did not take... And with Gibbs. And so we did not take Prescott at the 9-10 with the Deshaun Watson pick because we also needed a running back. And so we were going to almost certainly take P. Ryan or Rashad Penny. I think even taking both there would have been an interesting discussion and just sort of pushing quarterback down the road. Probably as I look at this, my preference would be to have taken Penny and then to have not passed on Jerry Goff at the 11-12. Now, passing on Goff at the 11-12 was also a little bit of mostly just a, a fumble, like I said, on my part, not getting that properly set up in the queue to look ahead and make sure we were on top of that as we went through the 11-12 because... I mean, that is the game that we're playing. And yet at the same time, I do like having some of these games where I have the star receivers and and Brandon Cook's obviously the number two, but potential high individual weak receivers kind of by themselves, make that the focal point of the game, hit the quarterbacks in a different direction. And if we're going to go with the three QB, if we're going to have a little bit of an interesting build at QB where I don't think you're going to get too many Watson Purdy Ritter teams set up this way. I think it's kind of interesting to have Purdy with Debo where you're betting on those two guys together Ritter with Pitts, where you're betting on those two guys together. There were some game stacks we didn't execute, but we also got, I think a pretty unique and fun lineup where you can see how the structure would work both for the regular season, but then as we try and matriculate through those three individual tournaments, I I mean, the the straightforward play would be to have done that Dallas Detroit game a little bit differently. How are you looking at this roster, looking back on kind of what we did? And again, we're at the turns. And so you either have to kind of look ahead or take what falls to you. You know, we arguably didn't execute that element of it, but again, I I love the way this team turned out. I mean, really everything hinges on that Watson pick which is just a huge wild card. It is. It's a huge wild card. It's tough, I think, to have it completely unstacked. Um, I think you're a little bit more comfortable with it with that than I am. Looking at, like, as you were talking through that, at the 11-12, that's where we were talking about the tank, tank bigs be uh, by week, and then last minute took the Jacoby Myers selection, which also sort of boxed us out of another receiver and the Donovan Peoples-Jones pick later. Um, and that is the the turn where we would have had to take Jared Goff. So for me, it's like, yeah, perfect world, 2020 hindsight. How would I like to redo it? Yeah, I would like to take Jared Goff over the Jacoby Myers pick where we were pretty undecided. And I think that, like you said, we both – I mean, I, I take credit for that too. We both kind of forgot about <laughs> that stack we had set up after taking Watson, not as focused on the quarterback position, but needed to be focused on it at that next turn and also getting golf and then just probably being done at quarterback. Had we done that, 
I mean, we always say take the quarterbacks when it's flat, and we were sitting there feeling like it was very flat, Definitely Bigsby flat. and Myers. And so that would have been the, the move. Had we done that, then we probably can take Donovan Peoples-Jones. We would have taken him at the 13-14. We went Kendry Miller, Tajay Spears there. Spears, another one, we were debating the running back there a little bit uh, and felt like we were going to have to make a reach on someone at ADP. We could have snuck in Donovan Peoples-Jones there potentially. Then you have multiple stacks set up. Um, alternately, if we would have taken Bigsby or taken a running back where we took Myers, I think I still would have liked to take Donovan Peoples-Jones there with this structure. The Purdy and Ritter picks, interesting. They're both only single stacks, but I still like them. Uh, I would have liked to at least got a single stack on Deshaun Watson as well. I know you mentioned uh, Michael Leone's great piece a little bit ago. I know he showed that some of the three QB teams can be successful when they are all stacked because it is really nice to have one of the advantages you get with the three QBs is the ability to have multiple stacks throughout the, the one game scenarios throughout the three games. So yeah, Watson can hit a ceiling and, and with a rushing ability and a potential, you know, some talk of a little bit more of a spread offense, he can hit a ceiling without any of the stack pieces really going off. But I think I would have liked to have in three QB build all three of them at least single stacked because of how that uh, like plays for you in you know the, the three different one game elements that you have to get through in week 15, 16, and 17. So yeah, I think my uh, you know biggest regret, if you will, would have been not grabbing a Cleveland player after we took the well, I mean, that's not, not true. I shouldn't just say a Cleveland player. I, I think I'm a little bit higher in the Donovan Peoples-Jones profile than you because once he went, I was not interested in, like, Cedric Tillman. I think there's probably people that are listening and they're going, well, why don't you take Cedric Tillman or one of these really late Cleveland options? That's where I, I think we are starting to get into, like, just throwing away a pick trying to get correlation. And that's something that, Sean, you and I have talked a little bit about, that some of these late picks people are tacking on to stacks because they just oh you know it correlates like i mean if the play is not a good play it's not a good play like you can't play a guy who's multiple tiers below your other available options even in in round 18 he's tiers below <clears throat> just because he correlates like we always say correlation should be a tiebreaker not somebody not not elevate a guy over a tier higher and if you have legitimate profiles that you can go after late in drafts then you should do that you know it shouldn't just be throwing on players that are not good bets just because they correlate that's my opinion i could be wrong on that i think um people will disagree with that <clears throat> to some degree because there's cases to be made that if you've already made the bet on the quarterback and the offense then you know throwing on pieces from that offense should be a bet you know should be a path that you can make but donovan people's jones i was just gonna finish real quick donovan people's jones is a profile that i think is reasonable to be betting into he did have a decent enough Targets per hour run for a high A dot. He has been efficient after the target as well. When I say reasonable enough, it's like average. It's okay. But then he's been very efficient after the target all three years of his career. Um, so I'm like, I'm willing to stack him. I'm willing to make the, the correlation with him. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that that is probably the spot where we have just e even the tiny disagreement basically i agree 100 percent with what you said and anybody who's listening i strongly urge you to check out the piece by bjorn yang barnett who used the underdog advanced rate explorer and specifically that's really like five or six tools in one he used the stack explorer element of it to look at late stacks and back stacks and i mean i don't want to spoil too much of it but 
his conclusions were very much in line with what Ben is saying there. And so for me, the issue, I almost, it, it kind of is player specific where I take it one step farther. And for me, Donovan Peoples Jones is actually beyond the level where I'm willing to. He's undraftable. He's undraftable. And so in, in that case, I prefer just to work through some other scenarios. You mentioned the three QBs. You mentioned the game stacks. And one of the things I'd like to do a little bit here, and I think you know some of this is just apologetics for the team that we drafted, but I have a lot of latent three at QB. I have a lot of window QB at a value. And so you talk about, well, why do we end up with Deshaun Watson here? Well, was playing off of Garrett Wilson, but also a massive ADP value. I mean, it's such a big ADP value that you could argue that maybe it even helps you a little bit less because he fall, he fell back into the range that people are taking him. So you'll still have some same, similar teams with other players yeah. on that roster. 24 picks after ADP comes from the one turn where his ADP was to the very next turn at the end of the draft. And you can look at some of these guys and say they're going to be fallers and that maybe you don't even get that much closing line value with that. I have a really hard time believing that's the case with Deshaun Watson. Ben, you and I are not Deshaun Watson fans. We basically don't draft him. We wouldn't draft him anywhere other than two rounds below ADP. You know, we try and not to take too much of that into the show because, you know, we want to make it about the fantasy football element. But I, Deshaun Watson is not going to fall multiple rounds. He has too many ways to win for you as a fantasy football player. If anything, he's going to rise from this point. And if Elijah Moore continues to play well in camp, he's going to rise. And so you look at that element of it. So I have so many of these teams with the three QB that are very heavily game stacked because that is the way that you want to play it. And yet I do want to have some humility about it where I'm looking at other scenarios too. And one of the things that we have seen with our stack explorers is that 2022 was much more favorable for stacking than previous seasons. And so a lot of the analysis that focuses on that is going to find really aggressive results. Now, that's not necessarily to say that that won't happen again in 2023. But one of the things that happened in 2022 is you had extremely high QB injury rates, which ends up just tearing apart all of the players who are connected to those offenses. You look back to 2021, and one of the things that I contrasted for readers in, in one of the articles is just how bad even the elite QBs performed with their top weapons that season, which is kind of shocking when you look at the 2022 numbers, where if you put an elite wide receiver with an elite QB, you got insane advance rates. It doesn't happen exactly that way every year. It certainly doesn't happen with every group of guys. There are going to be some scenarios this season where you really actually do just want the quarterback or you just want the wide receiver. And so I don't recommend playing a ton of teams that way, but if the draft gives you something interesting, I do kind of encourage people to follow that, build a few of those teams, especially, you know, if you're not just doing three or four, if you're going to have a relatively broad portfolio, because those types of scenarios also happen i prefer to do that as opposed to kind of like you were saying make throwaway picks at the end of drafts yeah that all makes sense um we still got to dial in some of these player discussions because i think dpj's viable <laughs> but... well so you had mentioned cedric tillman that's a it's a good kind of jumping off point to at least mention a little bit 
and where you are with your projections. We're not going to do a, a full another hour on this draft, but how are you looking at that there? Because for me, I don't think that Tillman is viable. So he would also be beyond the list of players that you can draft. He's a do not draft, but I am concerned that even though he's not draftable, that his presence there on the roster makes Donovan yeah. Peoples Jones undraftable too. Yeah. And then David Bell, who we really liked last year, having such a bad rookie year and looking like a guy who might get cut is unfortunate. But if he were to somehow turn it around, it can it gets deep there fairly quick for a team that, you know, still they're talking about more five wide, but still uses some 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 two tight end sets. I would expect Harrison Bryant to still get uh routes. They they added Jordan Akins as well. You I mean behind Njoku. So I mean there's like where are all these routes gonna go? I get that. I, I guess I'm viewing it, in, and I did in my projection as you know, Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore are in most routes, and then Donovan Peoples-Jones probably a pretty clear three, Cedric Tillman a pretty clear four, largely because Donovan Peoples-Jones provides a specific skill set in terms of that deep speed, and Tillman's maybe more of a guy who has to work into a role and then, you know, as far as, like, target share, I have Donovan Peoples-Jones not high at all. I have him at, it looks like, 12.5%. But with a high dot and potential yards per target efficiency, and he's always been good in that regard, you're, I mean, I think you're talking about, like, you know, spike week potential. And on a given week, when you're talking about the, the playoffs and the, you know, the, I already made this case on, on the show, but, I, you know, I'm not trying to just keep making the same case. But you're talking about, like, a one-week spike scenario you know to hit on you know a long touchdown or a couple of long catches that said i mean i i mean he can hit on a long touchdown and still only score like 12 points and it's like the only catch he has or only has a couple of catches and it still helps watson ceiling but it's not actually that you needed donovan people's jones in your lineup so there i like i do also see where the math can work where like a lot of what i'm saying is true and yet donovan people's jones is still not draftable right like he has to be running a good amount of routes. I'm sort of projecting it that way, that he's running a decent amount of routes. But uh, I do see your point here and your case here, and it, it fits in very well with, again, as we have both now talked about, this idea that people like to throw on stack partners at the end of drafts that are probably not, in their own right, great picks. Like, if Donovan Peoples-Jones is elevating to Sean Watson's ceiling in a given week, it doesn't even necessarily guarantee that Donovan Peoples-Jones was a good wide receiver for your roster that week, especially on a team where we build with a lot of early wide receivers and a lot of wide receiver upside. I mean, he can hit on a 60 yard touchdown, like I just said, and still only have, you know, a 12 or 14 point game and maybe not crack our lineup. Or even if he does crack our lineup, he's, he's replacing a, an 11 point score from one of our other, uh, you know, higher end receivers. He's adding, you know, three marginal points for us. You got to have the ability to actually stack plays and have real ceiling so, I, again, I get the case for Donovan Peoples-Jones to be in that class of late-round receiver. I do – I mean, I, I, I guess to, to do comps, like everything that you're saying or I just said about Donovan Peoples-Jones and his role and he's going to ha- have some long touchdowns but still not be that viable is what I think about like a Van Jefferson. But what I think of Donovan Peoples-Jones is closer to like a Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's another guy who I don't think has real target ceiling upside. <clears throat> he's more or less been a five targets per game guy the last like three years, even in green Bay. And then over in Kansas city uh, at a high a dot. But even if he's only in this 85 to 90 targets for the season type of like 
um, pace, I still think he has the like a, a decent enough argument for Spike Week potential to be draftable, even though I don't really take him. I, I don't think I've pulled the trigger on Marcus Valdez Scantling or Donovan Peoples Jones once. I don't, maybe I've taken each of them one or two times. So this is me really sort of talking through whether they're even draftable and, and whether they're, you know, someone to tack on to stacks. And I'm starting to think that, you know, those couple of guys maybe are, or guys I don't want to have 0% exposure to. It is really getting into the weeds though, Sean, and I'm <laughs> probably um, overstating my, my interest in those guys just in how I actually play it. Because I broadly am very aligned with you in the sense of there's not that many receivers in these ranges that are even draftable. And for the most part, I'm not taking a lot of double-digit round receivers at all from the way that I'm building my teams. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. And I'm not pushing other people to do this, but it is something where if I'm in that situation, then I kind of embrace the fact that this will be a team where I have a quarterback who is not as heavily stacked as usual to let me play that scenario as well even if that scenario overall maybe lowers the value that that specific team represents but it's also an important scenario for me to get a little piece of as we go through so then to kind of wrap this draft up i did want to ask you about values because it went fairly well from that perspective given that we were at the turn and you don't have a ton of control we obviously mentioned the Watson value multiple times. We had Purdy nine picks below ADP, not as important at that range, but allows us to accomplish a very important objective, which was to get him with Debo Samuel. We don't have to reach on Gibbs. We get P Ryan at a couple pick discount. We don't have to reach on Warren. We get Miller around below ADP. Now it's very easy to envision a scenario where, where we picked him is, is his ADP in a week but at least we didn't draft him at his current ADP. Uh, you have Wilson at ADP, Amon Ra at ADP. You get Debo a pick or two below, which, I mean, it's not a huge ADP value, but again, it allows you to do some things you can't otherwise do. We avoid reaching for JSN, and I have a lot of, I have a lot of shares of him where he is more expensive than that. We get Quentin Johnston five picks below. We're able to finish out the wide receiver version of the bring back with Cook's at a pick below which you can't always do he doesn't necessarily come back to that pick we get jacoby myers almost a full round below adp the one real spot that we did do a reach because it was completely flat was kyle pitts that i am fine with and then just to kind of contrast that with what happened in the draft and i think we, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it when it happened because we were going over some other topics but there was a little bit of heartbreak for me at almost every pick here where we come through in round five and Chris Godwin goes one pick ahead of us. We would have, you know, tackled each other trying to rush to the podium to get that pick in. We had DeAndre Swift go at the seven 11, one pick ahead of us. I mean, that would have been my favorite pick in the draft. Obviously doesn't happen. We had Pat Fryermuth would have, which would have given us the other side of JSN and given us a player. We love go two picks ahead of us in round nine so, and then we had Aaron Rodgers. Which Aaron Rodgers. Right. One yeah. pick ahead of us in round 11. This was a really fun draft. I love the team. We got pretty good values relative to ADP on a big chunk of picks. And yet it was also a case of what could have been in this particular draft. 
Yeah, but I think we rebounded well. I mean, we didn't get the players we're as excited about. We always talk about on Stealing Billions, one of our favorite things to talk about, I guess, more so in past years. But as we start drafting again, we'll be talking about it more is you want to just draft teams you like. I mean, draft players that you like, that you want to bet on, that you enjoy picking. Like, this shouldn't be painful, <laughs> you know? Like, we do this as a hobby. But also, uh, you know, there's a case to be made that, you know, the guys that you like, you like them for a reason. And you're in on them. They, they are a part of your process. I think it's like a mistake that I got, I got into earlier in, in fantasy is sort of a lack of conviction in my own processes. Cause you, you, you do miss in fantasy football as well. So you, you know, what am I missing? What am I wrong about? And there's guys that you like and you want to be in on and you're like, yeah, but there's probably something that the market sees. And so I, I, you, you take someone you don't like, hope that the guy you like comes back and cause you don't want to reach on him or something. He doesn't come back. You wind up with a team that, you know, in this range, you look back at it and you're like, ah, I took a guy I didn't like, I didn't get the guy I did like, and now this kind of makes the whole rest of this team not as fun. We, we talk about this often. Take the guys you like, build the team you want to build. You'll feel better about it when you're drafting, when you're done. And you'll also probably build a better team, honestly, than when you're trying to mix other people's opinions or market sentiment with your own, as opposed to trying to build something that's a little bit more cohesive around what you actually believe and what your processes and and so that is usually the goal in this case we didn't necessarily get to do that to the extent that we wanted to because we were on the end and we had to make some tough decisions and some flat spots where there wasn't really like a guy that we were excited about taking that made sense especially after a couple got sniped right before us as you mentioned godwin and swift and some of these guys and so yeah we wind up with you know jacoby myers who i you know obviously enjoyed talking about over the last couple of years but like it's not our favorite receiver to take this year we end up with Ty J Spears. I don't think either of us was jumping out of our seat to take Ty J Spears, but I still think that the draft works. And so my point is, yeah, sometimes you don't actually get to take the guy that you want. Don't don't take the guy you don't want over a guy you do want when the guy you do want is justifiable. When you get in a spot where it's not necessarily breaking your way, sometimes there's not anyone that's really justifiable to take for your build that you really want to take. And so you start taking guys that you don't necessarily want to take. You mentioned neither of us is really huge fans of Deshaun Watson, but I mean, 24 picks after ADP and in a situation where, yeah, we had to bring back with Garrett Wilson. And I mean, you like, we're also trying to win in fantasy football. So like eventually you have to, you have to part with some of the, the off field stuff. It's um, it's challenging, but um, it's the reality of it. So you end up taking a little bit of a different build here, a little bit of a different texture, a little bit of a different line through our draft, but, um, I think it comes together reasonably well enough. I think this team has paths to being uh, competitive. I, I question the overall weekly ceiling with the three quarterbacks and only two total stack partners, right? We did two single stacks and then an unstacked third quarterback. But there's a lot of interesting elements to this build for sure. It was a fun team. It's a little bit of a unique team for me, which – I really enjoy those when you when you get your plan and execute it extremely well you do find that there are some teams that do end up somewhat similar ben this was great thanks everybody for listening today that'll do it for season bananas i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretch whom you can follow at yards per gretch we mentioned earlier in the week a couple of the projection posts are out that i know you were working on one as we pause what division were you writing up today you got one team left in that afc south i wanted to get some thoughts on the deandre hopkins 
addition. So I jumped around a little bit, jumped into the AFC South, spent a lot of time uh, thinking through Jonathan Taylor and some other interesting names in what's not traditionally been a fun division, but is a little bit more interesting now that we got some rookie quarterbacks in there. It is. It is. We love the rookie quarterbacks. We did a show on that. If anybody is looking for some of our deeper thoughts there, make sure you check Ben's podcast series with Michael Leone out. Obviously you guys are watching every single episode of ship chasing. Make sure you sign up for stealing lines, Ben's betting project with Dalton Cates. We'd love to have you over at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RV2023 at checkout to get a 10% discount on a one-year subscription. Anybody who enjoyed today's show, join us over at Underdog. Use the code Rotoviz, 100% deposit match up to $100. Appreciate all those ratings, all those reviews. They help us a ton. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.